Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Howdy, y'all. Welcome. Mm. Hi. Howdy. What are y'all drinking this week? I... I'm sipping on a just a beautiful pour of uh, Guinness. Ooh. Uh, we're recording the day after St. Patrick's Day. Oh, and Guinness is hitting the spot right now. Solid. Emily? Uh, <laughs> so, like, anticlimactic. Uh, I'm sipping on cranberry juice. Woo-hoo! Nice. That's all, the, that's all I found in the fridge here at the church. <laughs> uh, I am drinking an aloe drink, and I also pulled out a LaCroix. Oh. Which is a new flavor that I've never tried. Cherry Blossom. It's called you guys tried this? Topo Chico. Yes. No, no Topo Chico. Okay, so I, I, no. my, my opinion is that Topo Chico does the pure sparkling water the best. But flavor-wise, LaCroix is the best. The Cherry Blossom one? I like it. Um, yeah. Oh, I see what Elise meant by weirdly chocolatey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Interesting. But I think I think I think my brain association is just chocolate covered cherries. Like I think that's right? the flavor. Like Queen Anne's chocolates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Anne, I don't know if you did that on purpose or not. Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> Maybe. Oh my god. That was pretty cool. Well, um, it I would be remiss if we did not shout out our newest patron, Anne, who happens to be one of Emily's I don't completely understand the relationship. I'm not going to lie. Something to do with the council. <laughs> Anne was my former lay member, so she would attend annual conference and vote with me. Uh, she is my co-chair for our administrative council, which oversees like all the committees of the church. Uh, she attends all of my classes that I do, and she'll even help teach some classes. She's on worship committee with me. She watches Thea for me. Oh, uh, she's like a grandma for Thea. Wow! And she is just one of the sweetest, funniest, bravest ladies I know. Oh, uh, and I'm wow. so glad that we are in ministry together. So, Ann Armel, thanks for buying our drinks. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Sorry, it takes so long to shout you out because of recording schedules. That like we got a little wonky there. Yeah, but you've been a patron now for like a month and a half. Yeah, but we love you. <laughs> um, yes, thank you so much. It is my topic this week, and to be honest, I have had this topic written down for a while, and I've just like I've not felt the right, I haven't felt the spirit lead oh. to bring it up yet. Like I, I I haven't really known exactly how to bring it up. Um, but we were talking in the Discord recently with some really good back and forth on some topics and i i brought this up as like something that i've been thinking about recently so i'm just gonna bring it do you guys know about horseshoe theory yes because of you okay because i think i've mentioned it on the pod before uh-huh. yeah so 
limited overview because this is usually applied to political science and not sociology. But horseshoe theory in its basic concept is the idea that two opposing ideologies upon reaching their extreme versions are actually closer to each other than they are to the middle ground. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of examples of it in political science. But what I want to bring and ask is, do we think this gives any insight to theological issues? Do we see examples of this in theology? And if we do, what can that give us insight for? Do we see... Would you, before you guys come up with your own examples, oh. would you like an example? Yes. Oh, yeah. Primus. Okay. Primus, please. I will, give you, I will give you one specifically theological example and one specifically not theological example. One great example is the guns issue. Like, leftists and conservatives tend to be very gun-toting. Even though, like, depending on, like, who you listen to, it's, like, one handles them worse or whatever. But, like, in general... The gun toters are leftists and conservatives to some extent. And the more extreme you get on either side, obviously, there's like varying degrees, there's nuance there, there's debate within the circles. But like it's the middle ground, it's the liberals and the moderates who are like anti gun. Like Mm -hmm. they could care less if guns existed at all. Like they would probably vote for guns not existing, demilitarization, like everything. And obviously, okay, so like that, that's, I think to me, that's a good example of like, like, of course, there's a lot of discourse there, right? But, like, on the extreme ends are the gun toters. And because of that, even though they probably have opposing ways of, like, how that should be done and run, they are closer to each other than they are to the people in the middle who would actually probably vote against guns. Mm. At least in the U.S. Theological example, cessationism. Reformed people who tend to be, like, more on the, like, conservative side of theology, more traditional values are ironically in agreement with people who have like deconstructed or unraveled from charismaticism and Pentecostalism, Hmm. either to a new form of Christianity or outside of Christianity and don't believe in supernatural healings and miracles anymore. So they, therefore they are closer to each other on that topic than they are to people who are maybe more in the middle, quote unquote, in, in believing that like God could or does heal people mm-hmm. in some fashion. Mm. I have other examples that I have thought of, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Mm, okay. And whether or not this is even a useful framework to think about theology with to compare and contrast views. Oh. Boy, I'm struggling to bring one up to the top of my mind here. It's crazy that you bring this though, because honestly, if this wasn't your episode today, my next topic would have been essentially asking the question, why do we think centrism is so bad? Because mm. I, I see a lot of people not like mm. uh, centrist mm-hmm. ideas or moderate ideas. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, one of my like sub questions here that I've been thinking about is the question of whether or not Christianity does or should ride the middle. Yeah. Oh, sure. One of the other examples I've thought of, and this may be a little bit of a stretch, but I think this might just be indicative of like using the framework for theology specifically. The example I thought of was like in the comparison of like creationist and theistic evolution arguments. In my mind, there's a certain point, and this isn't necessarily like extremism. This is like maybe the stretch part of it is like at the end of each of those views, like there is a leap of faith, like regardless of like, 
what you think about what you're observing about the world, whether that is scientifically accurate or not. At the end of it, the believer has to be like, well, we don't know exactly how it happened still, but I believe that God had a hand in it. Mm-hmm. And so like in a way, like the, those two views are actually really close to each other, even though they completely disagree about the science. Mm-hmm. Mm, sure. Even though there's not, there's not really like a, <laughs> and so like in some ways, maybe you could say that's the middle ground, but like in my mind, like you have to be like so deep into one of those views and like mm-hmm. you, you almost have to be like post evidence before you realize that it still requires a leap of faith. Sure. I feel like I just want to throw out topics, but I don't know how they would sit. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll just like discover one. Um, I don't even know if this is a... Well, now I'm stuck. <laughs> okay, let me help you out with another one then. Uh, another example I can think of is kind of multifaceted. It's not necessarily like either or, but I think mm-hmm. atonement theories would apply here as well in that like they're all kind of getting at the same thing. Like mm, it's like okay. not quite an all roads lead up the same mountain framework of religion. It's more like a, all of these theories of atonement are trying to get at like we believe something in the story of Jesus accomplished something in humanity and we think that that's it. <laughs> like they're like they have very different like mechanistic views and like would like maybe even demonize another theory but like in the end they're all closer to each other than they would probably like to admit. Sure. Okay. This might be a stretch. Go for it. But thinking of like the sanctity of life. Ooh, okay. Well, I'm th- so I'm thinking of like religious wars, conquest, right? And then like on the other side, you have caring for the widow, caring for the poor, caring for the mm. oppressed. And it seems like the idea and the the goal of the sanctity of life and the the oh that's a trash example no i like i think i see where you're going with it maybe just like do you see where i'm going with it but i think i see where you're going like the the idea of life being sacred and meaningful and how do we achieve the end goal of life being uplifted but like on one hand in order to do that, it's through the hands of destruction and chaos because your your goal is to uplift God through war, through conquest. But on the other side, it's through like acts of service and acts of being selfless. Hmm. There's like something in the middle where see what I mean? That's a bad example. No, let's come back see to what it. I mean, come back to it. No, you'll you'll it'll click for you at some point. Uh, one example that I thought of this week, which This may be a little too cheeky, (laughs) but uh, trigger warning, I guess, for abuse and ideas Mm. of abuse. Um, But the example I thought of was like anti-pedophilia rhetoric. And and that sounded that makes it sound like that's a negative thing, but I'm not meaning that negatively. I mean, like there's like there's several issues going on right now that kind of uh, implicate the church where like people are like, you're the groomers and other people are like, no, you're the groomers. And then there's like all of this like there's all this rhetoric that's being thrown around that's like implying that vast amounts of people are grooming children for pedophilia Mm. being normalized. And like, in in my opinion, I'm going to try to like not get too political about this because I think this is just an example here. Um, In my opinion, it would do people good to like take a step back to say like, okay, none of us want pedophilia. Like nobody's 
arguing for that here and we can admit that it happens and that we should all be on the same page about it being a bad thing. <laughs> like, But instead, what's happening is people are like mock the other side with ad hominems and then therefore people get more defensive in like whatever they're defending a right for. And it ends up being like this kind of ships in a night situation in my perspective when like both, no matter if you're like pro or against certain types of people, um, whether that be drag queens or pastors, everyone should just like, there's like more unity around like, oh, pedophilia is bad. We should stop it. Like that should be the mm. basis, like regardless oh. of person. You know what I'm saying? So like, so. it's like become this, like, it's become this like hyper politicized thing. But like in the end, those views are actually really close to each other. So here's one. And I think we've, I know we've already done an episode on it, but like abortion. Ooh, okay. How, yeah. How do you see that playing into this framework? both sides the idea of life being sacred it's just a matter of whose life is sacred at this point oh sure yeah we see life as being like everyone can agree life is sacred and on one end it's it's the fetus's life that is more important and on the other side it's the fetus is important but so is the mother's like we can't negate that as well and it very much is one or the other and i feel like there's this really big middle mm. where it's like we can agree that life is sacred right because mm. in both of those cases the unfortunate um mm-hmm. uh the the unfortunate thing that ends up being observed from the outside is wait are you saying that one of these sides actually just I- wants to kill fetuses or like end mm-hmm. or uh, are you saying that someone actually wants pedophilia to happen more like right the, it you know like <laughs> the framing becomes very confusing. It can be like, wait, you're making it sound like the other people are pro pedophilia. Like they, they want it to happen. Whereas you're saying like, no, I think we can all agree. I mean, like that's, that's a pretty common, you know, like I hope we could all agree that we want less abortions to be happening. Right. Yeah. Or like war, like we can all agree the idea of war is bad. (laughs) However, you have one side that's very much anti-war, wants nothing to do with war, demilitarize, right? Like stop all funding. And the other side is very much you fight for your country, you serve your country. This is how you serve your country. War is justified and necessary. And everyone else in the middle is like killing people's bad. I think the weird position that so many of these things put us in is like when they do feel pretty black and white, the problem with seeing in black and white is that you can actually see the black and white. Like, I think there's something to say for hold the space for the gray in the middle. But also, like, if you are able, if if you're approaching something that is popularly seen as black and white, being able to see that. I feel like that's where I get caught very often is like, and where I normally am just like, keep my mouth shut. Don't wade into these arenas sometimes because there, there are situations where I feel like I totally understand what team a is saying. And I actually totally understand what team B is saying. And it doesn't feel like they're communicating very well, but also I don't know how to help facilitate understanding in either direction. There's a part of me that thinks I'm sure horseshoe theory has its own criticisms in the poli sci world, which to be honest, I'm not familiar with those, uh, but I bet they exist. 
because every framework <laughs> is like always criticizes like too simple. But there's a part of me that wonders if applying the horseshoe theory to theology to compare and contrast, it almost makes me wonder if though if it would highlight better the places where like supposedly opposing views are actually trying to get at the same goals. And if that in turn then like helps lead us back to a middle ground. Mm-hmm. Like even if it is the extremes on either side that are like of, of an issue per se that are more similar than different. I don't know. Mm. I'm not sure if that does help that way or not. What I feel extra puzzled by, I think the funny example, Josh, was your latest or one of your recent tweets that was, are you pro-argument or anti-argument? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I just immediately tweeted back a gif of like, this makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, I'm torn. Uh, yeah, I j- just because like the presentation of a binary is extremely tempting to just go toward one or the other. And I think the other part of it is like when third way, like trying to hold space for third way or centrism, there's this odd dynamic that sometimes happens where to like the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing of like, mm. if you try third way, Ways one and two are going to unite in how much they hate you for (laughs) trying to dance the middle. You know what I mean? (laughs) That is extra puzzling to me. And I I just don't know what to do with it. Well, you know what they say? Love your enemy as yourself. Mm. Is that what they say? I don't think that's the quote. No, love your neighbor as yourself. But then you love your enemies too, right? Yeah. Point taken. I didn't even catch that. Love your enemy as yourself. That's funny. <laughs> Listen, I think there's a there's a viable hermeneutic that gets you there, but I don't think that's the quote. No, it's not. <laughs> but it isn't it funny how the idea of here's something that creates I'll say a division, but like really in the grand scheme of things, it's everyone in the middle. Right. It's like the 80 (laughs) percent who are like just chilling in the middle who are like, why is this the thing? Why is this the mountain you want to die on? Right. Uh. Like there are other things happening in the world. There are more things happening in this world. And it's like 10 percent are on this side and 10 percent are on another. And they're trying so hard to get people on their side that it's like at the end of it all, like, let's say you succeed. Right. And you get the majority of that 80 percent on your side. What is to come next? Like, what is your next mountain you're going to die on? Mm. It feels like, Emily, what you're headed toward is some sort of commentary on, you know, quote unquote, outrage culture. Mm. Like, there's there's just the next thing to be pissed off about and to be animated by, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is anyone surprised that the American Republican Party, once Roe v. Wade was overturned, almost overnight just dropped the controversy over abortion and now we're having heated anti-transgender conversations mm-hmm. you know it's just the next thing to be pissed off about or the next thing to be uh i don't know outraged by i guess it, it and that one that in particular is one where while I'm generally a person who wants to find compromise wherever I can find it. I, I 
you know, that is one of those where it's like, I don't know if I can find space for compromise for people who are literally just calling for transgender people to be eradicated like that. I can't just say, well, hold on, guys. Have we considered, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think when we talk about the church and the church's involvement in this, that is very fine lines. Uh <laughs> Because I think when churches get involved in those very polarizing arguments, mm. it is setting the tone for what church looks like for the masses, for those people who are in the middle that are like, oh, yeah, like this is why I don't attend church. And it could be for either reason. It totally. could be because, you know, a church is very much against LGBTQ individuals or very much against overturning yeah. roe v wade or it could be for the other reason it could be whoa this church is very much like woke and I, that's not my vibe right and yeah i mean one of my friends and i we've been texting recently about like what appears to be a pretty simply given prescription to like care for the poor feed the poor right and the the joke between us now you know when a governor signs a bill saying like school lunches are free now it, like regardless of whether the parents can pay for them or not i see that as a valuable thing because like ending hun hunger is huge especially in the context mm -hmm. of like early education as well but like an attitude is out there of like they can do no right because they're only going to be met with well that's like the woke liberal agenda right of like so hold on you like you want more people to just be starving more people who are between the ages of eight and 18. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. what are we talking about though? Yeah. Like it's a progressive policy to spend government money. Shocker. But they're going to do it to feed people. And you think that's evil. I'm like, what? Uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know what to do with that. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Do you think that comparing differing views in a binary to show that though they are contrasting in many ways, that at their extreme, they are very similar 
Do you think that that helps the theological dialogue, or do you think that this type of framework? Mm. I don't know. Do, do, yeah. you, like, do you see more issue with it, or hmm. it feels very much because uh, I like you uh, reeling us back into the theological? Because Emily and I got pretty political there just now. <laughs> um, but it feels very much like if there are ears to hear and eyes to see, it's useful. But otherwise, it almost doesn't feel useful because I think when you present in a binary and then do the labor to show like, see, you have more in common than you think, or like, or can you acknowledge that your tactic is pretty similar to the one that you think you despise in them? I think that just makes people more defensive rather than less or rather than more receptive to correction, you know, Mm -hmm. which is hard. It's, it's a very big, like, there's an attitude involved of like can you hear this in good faith like i have something to point out to you you know those people you think you disagree with because you're so totally different like maybe you're not actually all that different yeah you know what i mean but if that attitude isn't there that's going to sound like an attack that they're ready to just defend against more attacks like that in the future now what do you think josh i don't know like the, I, so I've been sitting on this topic for a while, um, partly because I couldn't come up with examples for the longest time. And then every time I came back to it, I was like, oh, maybe this theological, oh yeah, atonement theories. I guess that's kind of in that vein. But like, I felt like all of the examples I came up with were like, you do have to fit it into a binary to like use the horseshoe theory. Like guns is a great example, right? Because it's like very like pro or against. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or like... But also beyond that, there's like different types of people that are pro. So then like you can have like a different binary there. And like, I, I feel like you can break it down to like very clear, like black and white kind of options. And then like contrasting there to see if like those options when taken to the logical conclusion are like getting at the same thing on either side. But I, I think that theology is like often so multicolored that it might be too simplify. I mean, maybe that's the purpose of it anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just a drawback of the framework, but it might be too simplifying to just paint an issue as having two theological options or views within an option that would lead to that much more constructive dialogue. And then I also think the point about like writing the middle is interesting because like that's something I've been thinking about for the last couple of years. And honestly, I don't feel like I've arrived at a good answer on like, should Christians write the middle or not? Like what potential harm does that cause by writing the middle on something? Cause in some ways you could argue that like we write the middle on things sometimes. Like for instance, if we like don't talk about a subject, but like we're all actually aligned on that subject, but like we don't talk about it too much on the show because like, we're not just here to talk about what we align on. We're here to like talk about <laughs> like contrasting views, like horseshoe theory or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so like if we're like, like someone could like criticize. I don't think anybody has actually in 130, whatever, 135 episodes. I don't think anyone's actually openly given us that criticism of like, you guys don't take a hard stance on X or whatever. Mm. And in some ways, I think that that has been like both purposeful and unconscious on our parts mm-hmm. um, to like talk about the things that we more or less probably disagree on, or we're not sure if we do rather than just making this like a theological treatise of all the things that you should believe. And so I, I like that. And so like, I can, I do see a little bit of, I I do see value there in like quote unquote writing the middle sometimes, because I think that there is, 
I think that it does allow you to like openly consider different views in a way, both theological or otherwise. But I also, I feel like the last four or five years, especially, maybe this is just because I'm like more of an adult now, uh, but I feel like I've heard a lot more people preach against riding the middle, both for political and theological issues. And I'm not entirely sure like how to wrap my brain around it. Because like, even as myself, for like how much my beliefs have unraveled and shifted over the last couple of years, I think that what has partly allowed that to happen is my, my like willingness to ride the fence sometimes and be like, I'm not sure. And like, in, I think in a lot of ways, I think the middle ground can be uncertainty and not just like, I refuse to have an opinion mm-hmm. or like I refuse to learn or something like that. I do think that that can be out there too. And I think maybe that's the more harmful side of it. But I think that could be maybe a strength of the horseshoe theory applied to theology is the middle ground as uncertainty and acknowledging like the similarities between different views, perhaps and differences. It's complicated. (laughs) Yeah, it is complicated. It's very muddy and messy. And I'm probably wrong too. Like, I think that, that like, I feel like we have a lot of these like broad meta kind of conversations about general things that like touch on lots of different issues. And I think this is a great example of one of them. And in my mind, having conversations about the general things and like how we are going to approach disagreements, especially theological, in my opinion, that only aids discourse. Mm-hmm. Like even if you're wrong, like mm-hmm. I'm probably wrong somewhere in this conversation. Like maybe I'm getting something wrong about the horseshoe theory. Maybe I don't understand that it's like severely limited and like, Maybe I'm getting lots of things wrong about the criticism of the middle ground, whatever, whether that's theological or political. Somewhere later down the line, I will probably have changed from the way I am now, but I think that it's conversations like this that help lead us to that and like should theoretically lead us to more truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, what, what is especially revealing is it's one thing to look at my theological past and... You know, sometimes there's a there's a twinge of like, oh gosh, I used to think that that's how misguided I was. But at the same time, like that that is a reality of my past, right? And to not integrate that into who I am today, I think is doing myself a disservice into my future, right? And so I think like my confusion over like a vilifying of the center or of the moderate or the third way is I can personally say, you know, even on the, on a topic that is both political and theological, I have been on the stereotypical sides of the binary on opinions of abortion. I have been literally on both sides and I have learned that it is, I think, more complex than both sides stereotypically make it out to be. And I have to integrate that part of me, right? I'm going to use a Rob Bellism from one of his recent podcasts, like eight Stevens ago, you know, thought abortion was absolutely wrong in all cases. Three Stevens ago thought it was absolutely wrong to limit what could be done. And I feel like in a very weird space right now because, right, there are very uh, personal and like personally impactful questions about this topic when uh when it comes to like my wife and i 
trying to be pregnant and being told that if we are able to sustain a pregnancy, that it will be high risk and it could end in an abortion in order to save Dixie's life. Mm-hmm. And like, while I don't want that abortion, I also have to take seriously like what, like you see how complex that gets once you put a face and a name to it. Yeah. It just, it can't be what's parroted on TV news on either side. Like it, it's so much more messy, but I have to integrate both parts of my past that have been thoroughly convinced of both sides in order to inform my present and in order to like go into the future with any sort of, I want to say confidence. And I like confidence in this sense because it's a very subjective and personal metric. Whereas like I have no certainty as to whether I will get that right in the future. If one day it is literally up to me because my unconscious pregnant wife can't make the decision and I have to say, abort the fetus or not i don't know what i'll do and i don't know if i will make the right decision but i like to imagine that i would step forward in confidence and not certainty because that confidence is rooted in something something else i guess do you guys think that christianity should ride the middle or do you or like do you think that it does already uh the the hot take that might sound extremely judgmental is that I believe there are versions of it that don't and there are versions of it that do. Mm. <laughs> and that might sound oversimplified, but again, I think I think there are examples of Christians in Christianity that are extremely polarizing. Yeah. And I think there are often kind of what Emily was uh, suggesting earlier. I think there are a lot of like quiet versions of it that maybe might represent a majority but i think there are very quiet Mm -hmm. versions that do ride the middle well and i like to think that i occupy that space yeah i think it's hard to blatantly say christianity when there are different forms and sects of christianity Mm -hmm. it's broken up into so many pieces that if you were to ask a Methodist that question, they would probably say, and again, Methodist, if you ask a United Methodist versus a global Methodist, or if you ask, you know, uh, an Episcopalian versus a Lutheran versus a Baptist and so on and so forth. Uh, Wearing rose-colored lenses, I would like to say that I think Christianity should ride the middle because it meets the most people where they're at and it allows room for growth and change. But I know that that's not the reality. I think there's something that's uncomfortable with stories of Jesus being very yes. And Mm -hmm. I can think about the binary question that was presented to him of like, do we pay our taxes and give our money to Caesar or do we give our money to the temple? And he's like, Whose face is on the coin? (laughs) Right? Like, it's so just like slightly on a tilt the way he answers that question. And he comes out of it saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. He's like, he's telling them a non-answer and yet a profound answer at the same time. Like the, Mm -hmm. the dancing with paradox that is modeled for us in a character like Jesus in that moment. Uh, 
I know for sure has a lot to teach me, if not anyone else, you know? What do you think, Josh? Josh. Should or should not? Yeah, what do you think? I don't know. As much as I think that something like the horseshoe theory can aid in simply contrasting some views, I think that what is not clear to me these days is whether or not Christianity does or should ride the middle ground um, and look for the quote-unquote third-way option. I think that there is a lot of value in empathetic discussion with multiple sides of an issue. And I do think that the the Bible and the story of Jesus is begging the readers to consider humanity and being human in a radical way that is often opposed to our natural base instincts a lot of the time. And I don't know if that means middle ground or not. It's a hard one. I think it, if, I think it just like completely depends on context. Like guns is a great example. Like we did, we did a whole episode about guns, um, the gun sling and slave guns, sling and savior. And how like it's like a a very seemingly straightforward issue like that that people often pose as pro or anti, it quickly becomes complicated. Like people have very unique unique opinions depending on very unique context and circumstances. And I think that for applying the horseshoe theory to from poli side to theology, I think that maybe the biggest benefit is kind of amalgamating those nuanced views into, okay, well, most people are generally pro or generally anti for whatever reason. Those reasons are probably different, but like there's roughly two views on this. Mm. I think that the same can be said for theology. And I think that the, I think that just acknowledging different views, I think this is what like prompted me to want to bring this up too as a subject I think that just acknowledging that there are different theological views, whether you like them or not, I think that's extremely valuable. And whether or not someone wants to use the middle ground to their advantage to show how similar those views are or try to edge someone 10% one direction, maybe that's a story for another episode. <laughs> but like, I think, that, I think that there can be some value in oversimplifying just to show similarities and differences in theology. There it is. This episode, we're pro-oversimplifying. And last episode, we're pro-cherry-picking the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at us. We're going full circle, Josh. <laughs> if you don't like us, go listen to episode six. Yeah. About heret- about the heretics. Yeah. And heresy. <laughs> well, Emily, do you want to close out? Yeah. Life is messy. Theology is messy. Although it would be so easy to see everything as one or the other, right or wrong, black or white, left or right, sometimes things in this life are just too complicated. And I think if we allow ourselves to be in community and to explore some of these ideas, we may find that it's not as neat and tidy as we'd like them to be. Mm -hmm.